Thursday, June 1st. This is the Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn, and I'm back in the Kia Soul. I'm going to park the I finally got my window fixed. It was... Hold on, I got the bill right here. These are the expenses of running this this in-car podcast. It was... $327.65. Parts, $99. Labor, $194. And then the various taxes and charges. Which really irked me because this car is barely worth $300. I mean, <laughs> I think this car, it emailed me, Carfax emailed me the other day about the, the worth of this car. It's worth $2,100. But you know what? It's paid off and it gets me to work back and forth. So I needed to have the window turned up. And now i got to have the air conditioner turned up. You guys have noticed by now that I haven't uploaded shows in a long time. By the time you get to this one, you'll be like, oh wow, he finally uploaded the shows. Here's what's going on. So the weather turned hot. Summer came. Which means my dogs who live in the backyard all of a sudden got fleas. I don't know where the fleas come from because they live in a fence with no, no other animals. So I don't know where they got these fleas, but they did. And I didn't know it. I didn't know the time for fleas had come. They were not on any flea medication because it had been the winter. And one of my dogs, Dottie, can bark at night and bothers the neighbors, so sometimes I'll put her up in the basement. Well, Dottie had fleas all over her, and now there are fleas in my basement. And I've set off bug bombs down there, and I've got the exterminator coming. But as you guys know, the basement is where I work, so I haven't been able to work down there. And the computer that I use to uh, form, to convert into MP3s and upload the Christian Commute is down in the basement. So I'm just, I'm not going down there. And there's really no fleas in the office room down there, but... I don't want to be anywhere near them. I want to give them time to die. I bug bombed the crap out of the basement, but you know they they they'll hatch, and then they got to get poisoned with the residue of the poison. And I've got Terminex coming, so I just haven't ventured down there because I don't want to get a flea on me to uh, to get my laptop. So I've since bought a bunch of prescription flea medicine at the store to give to the dogs. I've given them a flea bath, so once... I'm actually going to use the dogs as biological weapons. This is funny because providentially somebody wrote into the inbox about our relationship to animals. (laughs) I'm going to use my dogs as biological weapons because I'm going to give... I already gave my dog the flea medicine. And then when it takes effect and kills all the fleas on her, I'm going to put her back in her cage in the basement so that any fleas that are there will jump on her, bite her, and die. Because her blood is now poisoned to fleas. Because I gave her... It wasn't Nexgard. It was some, Nexgard lasts for a month. It was some other kind of dog medicine that works for three months. Because I don't, I don't want to be out there 
in their nasty habitat giving them medicine every month I'll forget so just beware or be, be aware that those of you writing in and asking me questions about what is a Christian view of animals I use my animals as, as agents of biological warfare to kill bugs Anyway, so that's why you're going to get this dump of episodes when I eventually upload them. <coughs> I have a full show for you today, and I have a full show for you tomorrow. I got two questions in the inbox. I'm going to handle one of them today. Isn't, isn't life great? We're back to these full shows. Here comes a yawn. <sighs> I, even, I even must have bored myself with that five-minute intro about my dog problems. Today's show title is called is Rooting Out the Church Employers. Rooting Out the Church Employers. I would have liked to talk about the problem of equity longer yesterday. Like Chick-fil-A has this officer of diversity, equity and inclusion. And diversity inclusion and inclusion are not the problems. Equity equity is the problem. And explaining like what that is and how you know yes I understand why is that you know I understand how conservatives and Republicans wouldn't like it but why should Christians not like it maybe I'll do a show on that later but I need to sit down and think about that some I wanted to get to this one this show topic rooting out the church employers I have a question in the inbox it's a two-parter and the first part is about the Imago Day. And I'll get to that after I do the Bible chapter review. Here comes another yawn. <sighs> I need to wake up. Because I told my wife I'd look after all the children tonight and handle dinner so she could go to the gym. Ooh. All right. I'll get to that after I do the Bible chapter review. And I'll do the Bible chapter review after I safely merge onto I-75 and get in the left lane. Hopefully traffic's not too thick. Traffic has been rough lately. I guess people going on summer vacation for Memorial Day. All right, here we go. Getting over. I've got I've got the window of opportunity. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22 verses 11 through 14. We're finishing up the parable of the wedding feast. So the king has invited people to his wedding the high society types if you will they have refused to come he has taken out his wrath upon these people who have dishonored him and told his servants we got to have people at the wedding so go out into the streets and just find anybody who'll come and they've done that and now the wedding hall is full of the guests that the king's slaves have just found on the streets so for whoever on the highways and byways Whoever they could find, they've invited to the, the feast, the wedding feast for the king's son. So now the king has come to the wedding hall. But when the king, verse 11, but when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And now this is the end of the parable and Jesus is speaking. For many are called, but few 
are chosen. Matthew chapter 21, verses 11 through 14. So what's going on? The king has filled the hall, calling those who would come, because the first invited guests were not worthy. So he's going to call someone else. By the way, it's the king who deems people who are worthy. So the king has deemed these people worthy, they can come. He's called them. The Bible says both good and evil. Bad and good is how we should take that. I don't think it's talking about their moral stature. So they're there, so the king comes in to see his, his wedding, his, uh, who's come to his party, and there's somebody not in wedding clothes. So you're going to a wedding feast. You don't wear your everyday clothes. You're not wearing jeans and a t-shirt here. So if you're called in off the street to come to this wedding, well, you're going to go home first, and you're going to put your nice clothes on to come to the wedding. You want to be dressed for the occasion. This is a formal thing. Well, one of these guys who got called from the streets had the audacity to go to the king's uh, banquet hall, the wedding hall, for this event, to go to the king's house, or wherever he's holding it, and not put wedding clothes on. Who does this guy think he is? So the king says, what's going on? What's with you? And the guy's speechless. He doesn't have anything to say. He's got no excuse. He's got no explanation. So the king has the servants bind him and toss him into the outer darkness. By the way, guys, the outer darkness is hell. In the parable, it's just out of the party. But what, what are we to take from it? Outside the kingdom, it's, it's hell. Being cast away out of the kingdom. And how do we know that? Because there's places that they're having weeping and gnashing of teeth there. Well, what is that? Weeping and gnashing of teeth means that people are miserable and they're mourning there. And then Jesus says, many, many are called, but few are chosen. So all these people have been called in to the feast. But who's not chosen? The guy who's not wearing the wedding clothes. The guy who didn't conform to the honor bestowed upon him. And I touched on this a little bit yesterday, talking about the general call and the effectual call. Everybody got the general call to come to this wedding feast for the king's son. And we would equate this to responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But only the chosen will remain at the party, for they are conformed, not to the image of this world, but to the image of God, as for them. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's not just like, well, I reject the Pharisees, so I'm going to call in everybody else, or in the context of the parable, I reject the previously honored guests who refused to come, so now just anybody can come. Like, no, you can come, but you're going to conform to the standard. And God has chosen those who are going to conform to the standard. So as quickly as the guest who was not in his wedding clothes was brought into the wedding, he was cast, bound and cast, hand and foot, into the outer darkness. Like It was a big deal. A, a huge affront and insult that this guy came without his wedding clothes. And have you ever been somewhere and felt uncomfortable because you were underdressed? That's, that's natural. There's, there's this idea in society now 
where we're going to be body positive and come as we are, blah, blah, blah. You should be uncomfortable if you're underdressed for somewhere. Because the how you're dressed says something about the status of the event that you're at. And it could be something as little as going to work. When I was at Field Turf, I inherited a department. And some people in the department would come to work in t-shirts or even wearing a ball cap. And nowhere is there some societal manual that says, well, you can't come to work in a ball cap and a t-shirt. And I really don't think that was even in our employee manual, come to think of it. But I had a conversation with HR, and they told me, don't say anything about it. <laughs> but I established an understanding with the people who worked for me that if you work for me and you come into the office, you're not going to wear a t-shirt. You can wear jeans if you want to, but we're going to wear a collared shirt and we're not going to wear a ball cap because I expect a certain level of decorum and professionalism. Last Sunday, no, it was two Sundays ago, two Sundays ago when I was in Noonan, I went to the early service. And immediately following the service, I had to go to the soccer park. So I'm wearing my soccer coaching shirt which is like one of these Under Armour shirts. It's not made by Under Armour, it's Capelli. And the, and the shorts, the athletic shorts, I wear to play soccer. And my daughter and my goalkeeper are in their soccer uniforms. Like their yellow soccer jersey and yellow shorts. We are severely underdressed for the first service full of old people who are wearing suits and ties. And I said to myself, they're, they're going to understand. They'll be happier that guests are here going to church rather than they'll be offended that we're not dressed to their level. Let me tell you something. If I was a member of that church or somebody who went there every Sunday at 8.30, you better believe that I'd wear slacks and a, and a blazer and a collared shirt. I'm not going to show up like that. That's not the expected culture there. So when you're talking about when you're showing up in the kingdom, you were called as you were, but you don't come as you were. People always say, well, we got to let them come as they are. <clears throat> no, you're a new man in Christ when you're chosen. You're called away from sin. You're called away from your lifestyle, off the, called off the streets, as it were. But you better put your wedding clothes on when you get there. Oh, hold on. I'm about to be killed by these idiots. That was almost terrible. So there was a tractor trailer. I'm done with the Bible chapter review, by the way. Uh, there was a tractor trailer in the left lane, like where they don't belong. Going super slow. And I'm like, what a jerk. So I was going to go all the way around him in the right lane. But the tractor trailer in the middle lane got over. And at the same time, before the other car was even out of the way, the tra or the other tractor trailer was even out of the way, the guy on the left just swerved over. Like, he didn't have room to be there. He put a signal on and I, I was pulling up. I was about to go through the middle lane. So me and my little Kia Soul were almost destroyed and now I'm behind another slow-driving jabroni. This is going to be an aggravating episode for me. Sorry. Do you have a question about Christian theology or apologetics? You can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com SethDunn88 at gmail.com 
or you can dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. And if you want to get in a red Tesla and drive 60 miles an hour in the left lane on I-75, don't do it in front of me, you neighbor-hating jerk, which is what this person up ahead of me has done. Now he's sped up. I don't know what he was doing. You're in a red car. Red cars, I mean, nobody drives a red car to go slow. And it's a Tesla. Those things can move. So I don't know what this guy's doing. All right, speaking of slow drivers, which reminds me of Florida, let's go to Florida. Because Martha from Florida has written in a two-part question. Martha, you could have just wrote two emails. How hard would it have been? <coughs> uh, so I'll cover the other one tomorrow, but it's a two-part question. The second part is, what is man's relationship to animals? And the first one is, uh, can you explain the concept of the Imago Dei, which is the Latin theology word for image of God? Because the Bible says we are created male and female in God's image. That's what it says in Genesis. And uh, I, I really... I really want to get around this Tesla because he's ticking me off. So hold on. Now he's slowed down again. I just don't want to be around this person anymore. You know if there's somebody like really annoying in your life, you just want to get as far away from them as possible. That's how I am on the road. Like You're going fast, you're slowing down, you're going fast, you're slowing down. I'm just going to pass you and be done with you. People riding around. Ugh. Alright. Now I'm, just, I'm done with this person. My day is better for it. Okay. Back to Martha's question. And the reason she's writing is she has a friend who's one of these animal lovers. And, you, and I, what do I mean about one of these animal lovers? Because I love animals. I have two dogs and a cat. I got fish. I like animals. I like to go to... Well, when I was, you know... I was about to say I like to go to the petting zoo. Maybe when I was a kid, but now it just smells and it's dirty. I like to go to the zoo and look at the animals. I like to pet my dogs. I went out to feed my dog yesterday, and the, I had a rib. Because I, I, I'm not even going to go down there and feed them. I'm not going through the basement to feed those flea bags. Uh, so I'd go to the deck, and I had leftover ribs from my banquet on Saturday. And I was just feeding them ribs. And my purebred lab stood up, looking at me, waiting for his rib. And he's just so beautiful. And I was sitting there like admiring this fine animal that I have. So I like dogs. I, I, I like my cat. I don't like cats, but I like my cat. Uh, so you, you call me an animal lover. But when I say these animal lovers, what do I mean? I mean the people who volunteer their time at the animal shelter. Uh, the people who have like cat calendars in their house. They donate their money to animal charities. When I was at the firm, when I worked at Malden and Jenkins, I was, I was helping one of the senior accountants do somebody's taxes. And what I was doing was going through someone's itemized charitable donations. And this woman, I'm not kidding, gave thousands of dollars. I forget how many thousands of dollars it was. I want to say 41. For some reason that number is in my head, but also 12 is in my head. It's a lot of money to give away. And this was almost 10 years ago. And every single charity was an animal charity. It was, you know, it's Humane Societies, P 
pounds, or you know, not not a dog pound, but the the humane society dog shelter. You call them shelters, like these no-kill shelters. Saint animal sanctuaries. And I remember going through and I finally got to one of the donations and it said Sisters of St. Francis. I was like, finally! She gave to a people charity. Like, she's given to these nuns. Maybe they're and taking care of orphans or something. And then I said, wait a minute! St. Francis of Assisi is the patron saint of animals. So I looked it up and it was another animal charity. So this, like, this super rich lady had just given away all this money to animal charities. And you get even get to the extreme people who are members of PETA and what people for the ethical treatment of animals. What is your ethical standard? It's rarely the Bible. So Martha has a friend who's, who's a Christian, but she's all, in, all into animals like that. <clears throat> so that's why she's asking. I guess she wants to have a conversation with this woman. And the first thing is, what is the Imago Dei? Because we know the Imago Dei is what sets us apart from not only uh, inanimate creation, like trees and rocks and things, things you might find in the desert while you're riding a horse with no name. We're set apart from inanimate objects, which is part of creation. The heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what did he create? The sun, the moon, the stars. He created the planet. So things that are not alive, we're separate from. But then he created things that are alive. Fish, crawling creatures, livestock. He created the animals. And the animals are living things. They're creatures. A dog is a creature and I am a creature. We're both created living things. But man, he created after the animals... And he created us in his image. That's what the Bible says. We're created in God's image. The animals, though living things, it doesn't say they're created in God's image. Mankind, the pinnacle of creation, is created in God's image. And what does that mean other than we're alive and we're different from animals? At the base level, very basic explanation, what that means is we are a living thing, because God breathed life into us. So I said that he made man and breathed life into him. It doesn't say that about the animals, by the way, but we know that animals breathe and are alive. So we know that humans and animals are unlike other parts of creation in that we're alive, we're living things. But also, humans are separate from animals and that animals are not made in the image of God. It only says that in the Bible about man. That's a, that's a level of separation from us, from everything else. Without defining what the image of God is, it is something that separates us from the animals. We're different living things than they are, in that we're made in the image of God. Another way to say that is we're made in His likeness. And it's, a, it's really sort of a funny term to use, but it is the term that was used, the Hebrew, I'm, <laughs> you can look up how to pronounce it on the internet. Teslam, 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 Teslam. I'm really bad at Hebrew. Because you say image, and you think, well, wait a minute. 
God is spirit. God doesn't have a body like we do. Jesus has a body in the incarnation, but at the time of creation, the incarnation hadn't happened yet. God is spirit. So what what does God look like? God doesn't look like anything. In fact, you're not supposed to. The Ten Commandments say, make a graven image of what you would imagine God to look like because you'd have to make an image of something that you had seen that you're attributing to God. Like the golden calf is like, well, we're going to make God look like a cow, like the Egyptians do. No, that's bad. That's ex- exchanging the created, or sorry, the creator for the created, which Romans 1 is bad. So God doesn't look like anything. So if somebody said, Seth, draw me an image of a dog, I could do that. It would be a very bad drawing because I'm not a good artist. Draw an image of a car, I could do that. Draw an image of God, I couldn't because God doesn't look like anything because he doesn't have a body. He's spirit. Dot, dot, dot. Now, now, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, has a body. I don't know what he looks like. But certainly in Genesis 1, it can't be talking about having a body because guess what? Animals have bodies too. And there are even animals that are bipedal, like primates. Chimps, gorillas. What are the other kind of primates? Orangutans. They're bipedal. They walk on two legs. Remember that song? uh, What's the song from uh, Jungle Book? I want to walk like you, talk like you. King Louis, he's an animal and he wants to be like a man. Well, he already can walk like a man. I guess some of them walk on their hands, but they're bipeds. So it's not about having two legs and two arms instead of four feet, because there are animals that have two legs and two arms. I think a T-Rex has two legs and two arms. That's not a primate. So it's, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with how we look, yet it's image. Nothing to do with how we look. Well, what does it mean to be in God's likeness? Well, it's to be a spiritual being. It doesn't spell that out, but that's the implication. Which is to say that animals are not spiritual beings. You could say they're like a meat machine. There's no soul in there. But we're not just meat machines because we have a soul. When we die, we give up our spirit. When Jesus said he gave up his spirit, and that the that's double meaning there, pneuma in the Greek for breath. Yes, when animals die, they stop breathing. When we die, we stop breathing. But they don't have a spirit or a soul. Because they're not made in the image of God. And his likeness. To be like God is to have that capacity for us, that, that soul. Really not even the capacity for good and evil, because think about that. In creation, in Genesis 1, before Genesis 3, man has the capacity to know good and evil, but they don't know it. So man's made in the image of God, but they don't have a knowledge of good and evil. Animals don't have a knowledge of good and evil either. We never say a shark murders a surfer when, when he eats them. A shark kills a surfer. He was just trying, you know, he was just a hungry great white. If you were swimming along in the ocean and a surfer came by and you bit him, you'd be doing something evil. That's a sin. Shark doesn't. So animals not only do not have a knowledge of good and evil, but because they're not made in the image of God, 
It's like they don't have the capacity for that. So it is not inherent to being made in the image of God to have a knowledge of good and evil, but I would say it's inherent to have the capacity to know right from wrong. And also, I don't want to bleed into the answer to tomorrow's question, but there's a, there's a responsibility. Like man has a responsibility that animals don't have. And that has to, be, uh, has to do with being made in the image of God. But if somebody said, just Seth, summarize it in short, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's, that, it's to be a spiritual being. It's to have a soul. You're a moral agent with a soul. That you are more than your body because you're made in the image of God. And that, that also has something to do with carrying out the purposes of God. But we will leave that right there and we'll answer the follow-up question, Lord willing, tomorrow on the Christian commute about man's relationship to animals. Now let's get to rooting out the church employers. There's a lot coming out about Hillsong. I think there's an, uh, there was the first documentary series that came out about Hillsong, and now there's another one. I haven't watched it yet. And now you're even to start seeing articles in Christianity Today, which would not be a place that wants to step into controversy about how Hillsong is so controversial and sinful, but yet... <coughs> Almost all of our worship music comes there. There was a there was an article, or I'm sorry, I guess a podcast at the Roy's Report, and there's another somebody who doesn't want to step onto megachurch ever. I don't think. <coughs> Julie Royals will go after people like James McDonald and Mark Driscoll, and I think wrongly after John MacArthur, but she's never been one to go after someone's bad theology and I guess she still hasn't gone after Hillsong's bad theology but now that they're on her radar because Hillsong has had all these scandals about adultery and toxic or abusive leadership and people are starting to notice that our worship music comes from Hillsong Elevation Bethel and North Point and then Phil Wickham and these are some pretty wicked individuals and organizations. So much so that Christianity today feels safe enough to write about it. You know, they're not they're not pulpit and pen, if you get what I'm saying. And I think it's because the mainstream media, mainstream media, mainstream entertainment services have come out with these shows about how bad Hillsong is, and now Elevation has got lumped in there with them and Bethel. And some, uh, someone did a study, and these are the people Julie Royce had on our podcast, and it turns out that the top 25 worship songs from 2010 to 2020, from this decade time period, all came except for one or two from Bethel, Hillsong, and Elevation, and these are just really unorthodox evil organizations so now people are starting to rethink should we have these songs in our church and you know th these are not the thoughts of conservative Baptists and Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians they've, they've been gone from them forever 
But this is the question that's getting out there in popular evangelicalism. So some of you may be encouraged to go to your worship pastor and say, See, see, here, don't you know? We can stop singing these songs now from these heretic groups and these theologically bereft songs. We can stop. But there's something you guys need to understand. It's not that your worship pastor doesn't know that Hillsong and Company are heretics. He knows. It's not that he can't figure out that their songs are not theologically rich. He can tell. He sees it. It's that his job, as he sees it, that he's been hired to do, I'll say that his job as his employer sees it, is to make people want to come to church and like it and keep coming back. I'm going to repeat that. To make people want to come to church and like it and keep coming back. Your so-called worship pastor's job is not to shepherd the congregation through holy and God-honoring worship and to honor God during the church service through song and teach the congregation through song. It's not a shepherding role. You can call him a pastor, but he's really not there to shepherd them. He's there to entertain people and make the service lively. That's his job. And if Hillsong gets that job done, which it does, he's going to use Hillsong. And oh, by the way, did you know your children's director's job is to make kids want to come to church and like church so that their parents will bring them back? You may think it is the job of your children's director, that's if it's a woman, or children's pastor, that's if it's a man, to teach the children Bible stories and give them a foundational Christian worldview and evangelize them during the process because it's I always think children's pastor is a stupid title because most children are unregenerate and unregenerate people can't have a pastor because they're not yet sheep. Anyway. Their job is to make people come. Now, do they teach Bible stories? Yes, of course they do. Do they evangelize the kids? Yes, of course they do. That's good. But they're going to do so in a way that they deem fun and exciting and engaging to those kids. That's why, if you look around, a lot of these children's areas are filled with foosball tables and video games. I think foosball. I would much rather play Nintendo FIFA soccer than foosball. I know there's some degree of physical skill. I'm just not good at it. I think foosball's boring. But they've got game tables and activities and lively songs too and the Disney puppet show if, if, if they can Disneyfied because their job listen as they see it is to keep those children's areas full of people who like church and want to come back that is the job of the youth pastor as well now somewhere in there there may be some associate pastor or education minister or counseling minister whose job it really is to shepherd people 
And the church may think that the senior pastor's job is to develop the people or grow the people in the word by preaching. But these other ancillary pastors, these underling pastors and directors, they're there to get people in. That's why they changed the name of the greeters to the hospitality team and then changed the name of the hospitality team to the first impressions team. So when you go to your music pastor and say, can we be more holy in our worship? The answer is going to be no, because his plan, his directive is not to be holy. His directive is to be fun, entertaining, and engaging. It's to give people the butterflies. To get people to raise their hands. That's why he's got a smoke machine and lights. So let me tell you, don't get the impression that you're going to go change the worship pastor's mind because you have all this additional evidence about Hillsong. I think people do. If I only had the evidence before me to make the compelling case, they'd see. And that's not how it is. I like to give the example of the Lord of the Rings, which I haven't read the book, but I've seen the movies. You know in the Lord of the Rings... When Gandalf finds that Sauron's agents are looking for the Ring of Power, that Sauron is back, and that Middle-earth is in danger. And he goes to Saruman, the wise, the white wizard, to say, Saruman is the head of my order. He'll know what to do. And Gandalf goes to Saruman, and Saruman has already joined Sauron. Saruman is a bad guy now. And it's not that Gandalf needs to explain to Saruman that Sauron is evil. He knows he's the bad guy. He's joined with him anyway because he wants the power. So you think you're going to tell your music minister that Bethel and Hillsong and Passion City and Elevation are the bad guys? No, he knows they're the bad guys, and he's already chosen to be in league with them. Guys, let me put it to you very plainly. Your worship pastor is the bad guy, or a bad guy. And he's comp- or he's compromised with the bad guys. And that's his job. It's like if a hitman comes to kill you and you try to explain to him, no, a hitman, murder is wrong. You need to find another job. They're like, well, no, the people who pay my salary have hired me to kill you, so I'm going to do it. I know you're right, but you're not paying my salary. You haven't hired me. Somebody else has. Now, who hired the music pastor? And this is where we're going to get to rooting out the church employers. Because this man is a hireling. Your youth pastor is a hireling, your worship pastor is a hireling, your children's director is a hireling, and I think in most cases your senior pastors are a hireling too. How do you know? Because these people are going to leave for different jobs and different people. Do you think they care about that youth group the youth pastor does? Offer him $20,000 more to go three towns over, he's gone. It's true. These career people are rarely, and there are exceptions, rarely at the church for their entire life or career. You will find, quote-unquote, senior pastors who are there for 20 and 40 years. I I met one 
I didn't meet him. I heard him preach this week, uh, last week at my great aunt's funeral. He'd been, in, I mean, she was 93, and he'd been her pastor since the 80s. You don't see that a lot, but it's there. But rarely will you find the worship pastor, the music guy, or the youth guy who's there for that time. And that's their ministry. Now, they're just hired guns. They're, hi they're, they're hirelings. They're hired guns. So if you want these people who are bad guys and do wrong, if you want them to be gone or change, you really can't go to, the, go to them. Because listen to me, they're paid to do the wrong thing. It's his job to be terrible. Let me repeat that to you. It's your worship pastor's job to be terrible, and he's a terrible person. You might not want to say that about a pastor, a supposed man of God, who's up there singing the church songs, who smiles at you and does the children's work. He's a terrible person. You know, you know those people who, who try to do the evangelism training and say, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And they say, see, insert your name here. For God so loved Seth that he gave his only begotten son. Oh, and you insert your name in scripture. And I don't like, listen, I'm not the world. Uh, the Cosmon is the world. But anyway, I don't advocate for that. But I want you to do this exercise in your mind. Because I think this will help you. Come up with the name of the music pastor at your church if you're at one of these churches who's singing Hillsong and Bethel and doing the Purple Lights. <coughs> if not, this exercise is not for you. I'm going to make up a name lest anyone specifically think I'm picking on him or his or her music pastor. And I'm trying to think of just a terrible hipster name and I can't do it but let's let's call this music pastor Taran Johnson and he has jeans and an untucked shirt okay that that's how he comes to church in jeans and an untucked shirt and his guitar and he got a big smile on his face I want you to say but insert your music pastor's name here Taran Johnson is a terrible person Taran did I say Johnson? Is that the name I made up? Taran Johnson is a bad guy. My music pastor is a bad guy. He's a hireling. You don't go up to Hitler and the Nazis and the German soldiers and say, well, you guys, Nazism is wrong. Sorry, Neville Chamberlain, that doesn't work. You're going to have to fight them in a war. So stop trying to convince the music pastor that what he's doing is wrong. He knows and he's doing it for a living. If you want to get rid of the hireling, you have to change, listen to me, the hirer. Who has hired the hireling? He said, well, the church corporate. Well, who did they have to do that? Some committee. Whenever churches are going to hire some ancillary pastor, even the senior pastor, they, they convene a committee and they put a few regular old church members on it. Usually the senior, <clears throat> the senior pastor is an ex-officio member of all committees. But they're just going to get some people from the church. 
we're not supposed to really have prominent or upstanding people. We're supposed to all be equal in the church, but generally it's going to be somebody prominent. It's not going to be Joe Pewsitter. It's going to be somebody who's a big giver, who, you know, is paddling one of the rafts on the, the youth raft retreat. You know, you know what I'm getting at? One of these people called up to make the announcements every once in a while. Those are the people that, I don't want to say you need to get rid of, those are the people that you need to go talk to and say, we're doing this wrong. And I'm, I'm going to go a level down. It's not about the music. It's about the intent. You see all these people on the committee who are hiring the hireling pastors and directors, they think the purpose of hiring these people is to get people to like church and want to come. It's all about growth. Some of these people could just be genuinely undiscerning and wrong about the purpose of church. Some of them could be local entrepreneurs. I've talked about these people before. They're lawyers, insurance agents, realtors, uh, what else do they do? Business owners, local business owners. Uh, (coughs) They they sell Rodan and Fields or Amway. Listen, if, if you... If you sell Rodan and Fields, how do you make money on that? Do you go knocking on it door to door like the Avon lady? No, you build a network. That's called network marketing. And if you're influential in a network, you'll be good at selling Rodan and Fields. And if you're one of the top dog church ladies, your Rodan and Fields business is going to take off. And it's the same thing for like if I need a new roof or if I need a new insurance policy or if I want to sell my house, I'm going to call my roofer, my insurance agent, my realtor. And a lot of people, they think, I want to call my friend from church to do this. So the people down there, you know, sitting on the front road, donating a lot of money, participating in church a lot, a lot of those people are just there to build their network. So for those people, church is going to be about growth in an industry. And it's just going to be, uh, for lack of a better term, incestuous like that. You're not going to convert those people into the right way of thinking because they're not there for the right reason. They might not even be saved. But if you're going to convince someone, you need to go to these people on the committee and say... Stop hiring people for the purpose of church growth. If you hire a pastor or director, make sure his job is to shepherd or direct, not make people have fun. Don't put some requirement on him that there's X number of visitors and X number of people retained. Find some other metric. We're not hiring for a business. Maybe you yourself could get on these committees. But what you really have to do is go to your church business meetings when they have them and don't say something like, I move that we ban Hillsong. Say something like, I move that we we fire music pastor Taryn Johnson. Why? Because he's playing Hillsong. Why? Because he thinks his job is to get people to like church and come to church and want to be here. 
to give him a fuzzy feeling. Well, that's what we told him he should do. I know we were wrong for that. And everybody in this room needs to repent. And everybody in this room needs to understand what church is for. That's where you root out the hirers of the hirelings. Good luck trying. But you're going to have to become, to use the biblical phrase, a stench in their nostrils. Talk to them like Martin Luther would have talked to them. Because they are the ones stinking up the church. Ruining the church culture and ultimately sinking the church. Turning it into just a place to be. It's all about getting people to come. Do you realize, guys, tie, tie, you tie it back. That is what has allowed the most wicked organizations on earth you say well Planned Parenthood's wicked no they're wicked they come at you and say you know we're Planned Parenthood we're here to abort babies they're not hiding anything they're not saying they're followers of Christ Hillsong and Bethel say they're followers of Christ here we're, we're, we're pastors we're God's people no you're not you wicked demonic devil people wicked demonic devil people have pumped our churches full of their songs. It got to be this way. And it got to be this way because people think church is about being attractional. And by the way, this is why you don't have the problem in Reformed churches. Not because they have more discernment about Hillsong than people in non-Reformed churches. It's because the people in Reformed churches are not attractional because they're Calvinistic. They're evangelistic, but they're not attractional. Theology matters. The more people you have in your church who reject predestination, the more people you're going to have say, well, let's get them in with the songs. Let's get them in with the disney shows. We might save them. What are you going to save them and disciple them into nothing? What they'll say is, well, well, we're using all the church programs to get people in. We're doing you know, discipleship in the back room on Wednesday. That's why we've got the education pastor over here. That's why the preaching is so strong. Give me a break. Don't get in a hundred people and then show me two discipled people and say, we're doing the mission. Stop it. That's what you're dealing with and that's how you're going to have to change the church culture and root out the hirelings of the hirers. And make the bold yet true statement, the hard statement, that the worship pastor is the bad guy. And if I'm successful in changing the church culture, we're going to fire that dude. And him and his family are going to be unable to pay their mortgage and have to move out of town. Because that's what's needed. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved.